Hey everyone, welcome to Eerie Earfuls. Do you like scary movies? Um, welcome to 2022! We are working on the rest of our season. We kind of got snowballed by life things, so we um, put a pause on the season and sort of we're picking it back up now. This is a little bonus episode that I thought we would do because uh, the new Scream was just released, and so uh, I kind of wanted to talk about it. Brandon wasn't uh, hasn't had the chance to get to a theater, you know, COVID stuff and life stuff, um, but Stephanie and I were able to sneak in a little uh, a showing um, that was uh, pretty empty, so we were able to kind of sneak a showing in pretty safely. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Stephanie. I'm Justin's wife, and... Probably one of the biggest fans of the Scream franchise that, well, I know. Um, so I kind of thought we would we would talk about it, especially because it's the it's the first Scream that's post Wes Craven, and that's kind of a big deal. You know, Wes was the um, uh, I don't know the the what what do you call it the the hand on the hand on the ship's wheel captain the, the steward the captain well the captain doesn't necessarily pilot. steer the ship pilot sh- sure. The ship's pilot. Well, it is the first one since you know his passing, which was was it almost almost ten years ago? No, no, it was like seven seven years ago, eight years ago that he died. Wes Craven died in two thousand fifteen. So seven years ago. This is going to be we're gonna what we're gonna do is we're gonna do a, a retrospective on Scream, kind of talk about the four movies. Um, you know, that we've seen that, that were under Wes Craven and then talk about this fifth one, you know, how it compares, how it's different because it is a different director, but I just wanted to throw a quick thing up front that says like, Hey, heads up spoilers. We're going to spoil. I mean, all four of the movies, but especially heads up for scream five, because I know that it hasn't been released digitally yet. Uh, it won't be released digitally until at least like the end of February. And so there's, there's still that's heartbreaking. I, I wish know. that uh, and it's, it's i'm just i'm so frustrated that they yeah it's so disappointing that they are gonna wait like 45 days sometimes for like big superhero movies there's not necessarily i love superhero movies but we we also know like we we know roughly what's going to happen i mean you can be spoiled but they're they're very much archetypal stories but this scream has always been a mystery Mm -hmm. that that's part of what it is it's a murder mystery kind of you know it's wild to think that they would, on purpose, while Omicron is surging, say, hey, we're going to put this out in theaters only, and then you have to wait 45 days before we'll even consider putting it online. And that's just fucking crazy. But So what we kind of want to do is we want to talk about each of the Scream movies, just because it's been, I think it's what, 25 years since the original mm-hmm. Scream came out, uh, which they kind of address in, in this newest one as well. And, uh, you know, we kind of wanted to look back on the franchise since this is the first one post Wes Craven's passing, uh, just to sort of talk about what it means to us and our thoughts about them and how this new one compares to the four existing entries from the original creator themselves. So uh, let's first, before we sort of jump into Scream 5, let's talk about Scream 1 a little bit. Uh, I, I want to start with you, though, Hunt. I know Scream is one of your favorite horror Mm -hmm. movies uh what is sort of your history with it so uh scream uh came out in 1996 uh so probably we didn't get it physically released until 97 uh so i would have been five going on six years old because where we lived our hometown 
we had a theater that had two showings and generally it was like one family showing and then like one religious showing or something. Um, so my mom was at the time, I guess she was what, 24, I think when this movie came out. So she was like right at the prime demographic, what they were aiming for. Right. So, uh, so we got to see that it was probably, I think it was my very first experience with horror. It was my first horror movie. Cause I watched it right when it came out. My mom and I bought it on VHS and we watched it a ton of times. So it's always been foundational to, to me, to my movie taste in general, to kind of who I am as a person. I just was enraptured with it. So I remember going to sleepovers and showing it to everyone that I could. And it's always just been one of my favorite. I, I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. I, so I, my my memory of the specifics of it are a little fuzzy, but I, I know Scream was an early horror movie that I watched. It was definitely not the first, because by the time I watched Scream, I had seen a lot of horror movies. The first time I watched it, I think it was actually when Scary Movie was coming out, hmm. um, which I think was the year 2000. Yeah. Uh, so Scary Movie came out in the year 2000. And uh, when it was coming out, I remember that there was this... Um, uh, so throwback to because I'm and in my 30s and that means that I am now ancient throwback to uh, back when they used to show movies on TV on like primetime TV channels. TBS used to do this this thing called dinner in a movie where um, they would play a movie. But like during the commercial breaks, because that's that was just a thing that happened whenever they played movies on TV channels during the commercial breaks, they had sort of like a little cooking show. And so they would give you the next step of the whatever they were cooking and then like the movie would come back and then when it would go to commercial the one of the whoever the hosts was would be like hey we'll be right back first we're going to do this so that we're doing this thing and what i remember is that they had a very special dinner in a movie with the cast of or at least some of the cast of scary movie hmm. and they were playing scream as sort of as a promotion for scary movie and they would play like little sometimes they would play like little trailer teaser things for it as the movie happened i remember that whenever uh henry winkler's character died it came like it cut to commercial and one of them was like oh my god they killed fonzie because south park was also <laughs> very popular at the time mm -hmm. but anyway that was my first time seeing scream uh weirdly was the tv 14 edit uh with commercials back in the when i was in middle school yeah so i i i really liked it obviously and eventually we rented the other two and kind of watched them. Cause I think like you, you had a, yeah. What's interesting about scary movie in particular is that it came out in July, 2000, like July 7th or something. Don't quote me on the exact date, but July 2000 and scream three came out in February, 2000. So just going by how I remember the early 2000s to be, that would have been right when it was getting like scream three was getting released to like home on video and dvd um so like a wider audience was able to see it so i feel like scary movie kind of also got to use some of that renewed interest oh in, for sure in scary in scream one of the things that's so impressive about scream is that it still holds up like all these years later um mm -hmm. we can uh, at least to me i can still watch it and and just the especially the opening the the beginning with uh drew barrymore is one of the most effective openings to a movie 
mm-hmm. like ever. It is it is still incredibly tense and scary. It's almost a perfect little short film. Like if nowadays, because so so often nowadays, it's really common for people to like make short films and then turn those short films into feature films. And that opening by itself could almost be like a little short film. Um, well, that, that, and like, I feel like it was. Uh, I feel like we've watched some directors' commentary and stuff and documentaries about Scream where I believe it was an homage to Psycho because Janet Lee dies fairly early on in Psycho. She's not there for most of the movie. Whenever you think about Psycho, you think about Janet Lee and like the shower scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but she dies very early. So it was like, like, like they took the concept that took, you know, like 30 minutes or 45 minutes in Psycho of killing off the like big name actress, the beautiful blonde at the beginning. Um, and then like condensed it down into like the opening scene. And it's just, uh, it's perfection. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Janet Lee makes it, I believe halfway through psycho. That was one of the Mm -hmm. big things at the time. Part of the promotional material was like, don't uh, spoil the movie. They used to be common for people to like drop in to a movie late and then just like, basically wait for the movie to sort of loop around and then catch the beginning of it Mm -hmm. and they they didn't want that to happen because janet lee dies halfway through and they didn't want everyone to know that the big star dies halfway through so Mm -hmm. it was one of those things where they were like you're not allowed in once the movie starts you have to be in before the movie starts and you're not allowed in after just so that everyone would know like oh that's where janet lee went she died and it was like that super crazy like she was Mm -hmm. a huge star that they kill off halfway through and same, you know, like like you said, same thing with with Drew Barrymore. She was huge at the time, mm-hmm. and she was featured like gigantically on the poster and stuff. And then they kill her off in the first like fifteen minutes of the movie. It's but uh, in like the most iconic. I mean, it's not the most iconic death in the movie because that belongs to Tatum and the garage door. Uh, no, I think that Drew Barrymore tops it. Like that whole. It's literally the blueprint for everything else is always the do you like scary movies what's your favorite scary movie but even now when we were watching it just the other day as we were getting ready for scream five you and i were still like unpacking it and debating things like i wonder who it was that was on the phone with uh, with her i can't remember casey i wonder who was on the phone with casey because we were like diving into the lore and being like well, Stu used to date her, and so he might have wanted to like be the one to like psychologically torture her, but he also might have been the one who wanted to actually stab her. Like it was just, it still holds up, and it's still a a big whodunit that we every time we watch it, it's peeling back another delicious layer of onion. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's my favorite. It's my it's, favorite movie. I mean, it's so interesting to think about, like because we know because the big twist is that there are two killers. It mm-hmm. it's not just Billy. It is Billy and Stu. So like one, with that knowledge going in, you know, like like you said, they they drop later in that Stu used to date Casey because um I don't remember who asks. Is it Randy? I think maybe. That yeah, Randy like, asked. Didn't, didn't you date uh, her? Yeah, it was, Randy asked the day after they found Casey's body whenever they're outside before school just like talking about it or maybe it was like at lunch or something but they were outside talking about each of them like about you know it, they were like oh it takes a man to to do that because she was slit you know and like a deer yeah. or something yeah because i remember that that Stu's response was sort of cagey because he was like yeah for like five minutes mm-hmm. which knowing that it, it makes it interesting to watch that scene play out 
and to wonder like one of them had to be on the phone while the other one was doing the actual like stalking who did which like was it billy on the phone tormenting casey so that Stu could kill casey or was it Stu on the phone tormenting her while billy did the actual killing i think one of them was on the phone but i feel like they were both in masks and ready to to kill because oh for sure they had to appear at different places and kind of have her surrounded so i feel like i think it was billy on the phone and that Stu did the kill no wait no it was Stu on the phone i think and i don't know i don't i'll have to give it another watch to really firm up my opinion on who killed casey Although I could probably Google it and I'm sure so it's been revealed. I mean, they know, but. I don't think they ever say it because, but I mean, I, so one thing I do know is that the scream movies are fantastic, but they don't necessarily hold up to super intense scrutiny. Whenever you like yeah. it, try to examine exactly how a killer, even if it's two of them pops up in different places, like sure. You're, you're going to, eventually stumble into a logic problem but like it's still fun to like because they because they plant that and because we know there's two killers i i personally think just based on so based on skeet ulrich's performance and matthew lillard's performance and their sort of general yeah um but and their sort of general personalities because matthew lillard is very stew like uh just Mm -hmm. in general like he that a lot of his mannerisms that sort of manic energy is just matthew lillard like he's just super high energy he's great it's one of the things that makes him so fun to watch but uh the whole opening conversation is so like like the the way he flirts is so smooth that i just don't see Stu having the sort of patience to be like oh yeah what's your favorite scary movie oh i like that one it was scary like that just the whole delivery feels very billy to me yeah. Where Stu feel is so much more higher energy that for a second. So maybe, he probably has the energy to do the killing. He's yeah. got all that nervous energy. And yeah. so, you know, he had to take it out somewhere and might as well, you know, stabby stab. It, it's just perfection. Like that opening is what a lot of people focus on. And that opening is almost probably better than the rest of the movie. Even mm-hmm. not that the rest of the movie is not great, but that opening is like fucking perfection. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the movie is really good, but man, that opening is like somehow ascending to a different level almost. But yeah, like Tatum's death is super iconic. Uh, there are, there were, because we know that the killer is a classmate, two classmates, in fact, there are moments that are sort of humorous to think about in retrospect. Like um, the scene where Sydney uh, goes into the bathroom and um, she hears those girls that are sort of like making fun of her because she was attacked. And mm-hmm. then the killer is hiding in one of the stalls and attacks her. And there's a part of me that can't help but sort of find that a little bit funny. Uh, mm-hmm. Just because how long was he in there waiting? Did he go in ahead of her? Like how, like, which one I, of them yes, is Obviously it? he had to go in ahead of her. But yeah, but like just to hear that, like how long was he planning this? Did he ditch class? Was this what? Stu? Because I think that she Stu? just finished having a conversation with Billy. Because I think that yeah. that's, that is directly preceded with, Billy being what, like, what just get over your plan? dead mom. What was their end plan? If they did, they really want to yeah. kill her in the school. In the school, or because like that doesn't, or was it just to scare her? And the intention was never to to actually kill her until because they like you know kind of set up this you know a party like that takes some planning. 
It takes some forethought. And it seems like maybe they really wanted to have that party and then decided, you know, they had to do the kill-ins to make sure the party could happen. And it's also curious to think about the people who die. Um, how many people do die in the first one? So it's it's Steve and Casey. And then after that, does anybody else die until Tatum? Um, yes. Um, so the principal okay. does. Yes, uh, the principal dies before her. So it goes uh, technically Maureen Prescott. Um, I mean, it says yeah. like she was killed before the start of the movie. And then the next person is Stephen Orth, who was, you know, bound, gagged, and gutted. Yep. Uh, Casey Becker, and then the principal, and then Tatum, and then... Um, and then the camera guy. Yeah, Kenny. And then I think that's it and then, for, like, until, actual deaths. Yeah, until the end. Because um, Dewey gets a, Dewey and Randy both get attacked. Dewey mm-hmm. seemingly dies, but doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um. And then that's where the actual finale plays out. But it's so interesting because, like, they had this whole plan to pin it on Neil, uh, and uh, Neil Prescott, Sydney's dad, and <laughs> so that makes that just raises more questions about like, were you, how are you going to like? Were I guess you were just scaring her at the school, or was mm-hmm. that even the killer? Because they do sort of establish that that they uh, were they did bust some people. I mean, that's why the principal was in the room anyways. He was taking masks away from people who were mm-hmm. you know you know new boot goofing <laughs> and uh, or new mask goofing. I guess looking. I'm just got like the uh, the scream fandom body count thing up. The body count goes up, I think, with each movie. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because you have to raise the stakes for each each time. You have to, have to sort of raise up the ante. But it, it's it's interesting how few deaths there actually are in the first one. Yeah. Because Maureen dies off screen. She's like backstory. So like technically she's the first death, but she ha- like way predates the movie. So on screen, we see Steve die, Casey die, the principal die. Kenny technically dies off screen, but we do see him dead. No, we see him die because mm-hmm. we see him get his throat slashed and then we see more attacks. But that's it actually for deaths until Billy and Stu both die. But yeah, for, that's only one, two, three, four people. No, I'm sorry. I keep forgetting Tatum. Five people. So there's four. Five, yeah. So they count. They they kill five people. Six. If you count that Billy killed Maureen. Yeah. Well, yeah, it says that the killers were Billy and Stu that killed maureen unlike other slasher franchises where like the 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 draw is the killer like the draw in nightmare on elm street is freddy krueger the draw for halloween is michael myers the draw for friday the 13th is jason Voorhees. but for scream because it's a murder mystery at its core even though it's also a slasher the killer always changes sort of by necessity. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's never been the same killer because, because one, they get defeated at the end of the movie because they always do, but then who does it now? And so there has to be like a new motive and someone else who is doing like all of the rest of them are copycat killers, mm-hmm. which is fascinating that like, it's an entire franchise of copycat killers. Mm-hmm. And what bra- draws us back every time isn't Ghostface, It's Sydney. It's, mm-hmm that Sydney is sort of the the protagonist of the series and mm-hmm. it's sort of funny the way that like in the third one Randy tries to make it seem like Sydney is in danger of being killed but like no she's not because she's Sydney Prescott she's mm-hmm. the main character of the series you're not going to 
kill her off. She is the Jason Voorhees of the series mm-hmm. because she's not the killer, but she's the reason we're showing up. Mm-hmm. We're rooting for her. We care about her. Uh, man, it's just so Scream 1 is so freaking perfect. And I think that the high school setting is basically like the perfect setting for slashers mm-hmm. because of how high drama like teenagers are are so like their emotions are so heightened mm-hmm. and their movements are so restricted like slashers against adults are fine but adults have so much more freedom and they're like quite literally stronger whereas teenagers they're still young they're still growing they're like sort of beholden to their parents and to authorities their movements are restricted because they're literally legally obligated to go to school mm-hmm. so there's only so much time that is free for them and it makes high school such a perfect setting for for slashers that i think that's what makes two and three feel a little weird for me is moving away from the high school setting uh and moving into more adult spaces Mm -hmm. i mean they tried i feel like with scream 2 to kind of recreate that with it being set in college yeah um but i mean they're just because you're in college it doesn't it's not the same as high school mm-hmm. uh you know it you do have more freedom especially because it tried to really kind of play up the whole uh fraternity sorority thing um yeah. and it, it was just uh, it just gosh I, i'm trying like i try to think about redeeming things about scream 2 and nothing that i can think of outweighs the terribleness of like that cringy cafeteria serenade scene (laughs) that's just it just doesn't belong in a horror movie i mean it is in itself a horror movie but it's not the right kind of horror movie i think um because scream is more of a slasher not not so much the psychological torture sort of thing uh, humiliation is just not my thing it's just so extended and it just takes me out of the movie completely all all disbelief that was suspended has it's just unsuspended like nope done so i i actually i really like jerry o'connell and i think he's like a sweet guy and i think his character is sweet i think that for me part of the reason that that particular scene the cafeteria scene doesn't work is because t- one tonally it's a little bit out of place because the scream movies were so like incisive like it's a lot of mm-hmm. like witty repertoire repartee and this is a very earnest moment and the scream movies are not necessarily earnest at times mm-hmm. like that a lot of it is the very smart i am more clever than you i mean you can't really describe stumacher as not being earnest he gives everything a hundred percent but earnestness is like emotional honesty and Stu is never honest. Like he's a liar the entire movie. So like yeah. he's not being earnest. All the way to the very end. Dewey is earnest. But Dewey, Dewey works because earnest. Dewey's kind yeah. of dopey. I feel I think that I think that so to me it's two things. One, it's that Derek, which is Jerry O'Connell's character, yeah. and Dewey both kind of fill the same role of yes. like the doofy, well meaning dork. But the difference is that David Arquette's just man, he's he's got that character fucking nailed. But also, too, I think that there just wasn't a lot of chemistry between Nev Campbell and Jerry O'Connell. Yeah. And so it, it, I feel I like they feel... really, really wanted there to be because I feel like they were such big stars of the 90s, mm-hmm. you know, um, on their like TV shows. I think like what Nev Campbell have like what, Party of Five or something. I think I, so. I don't remember. And I feel like Jerry O'Connell also had big stuff. 
so they really wanted to make it work and it just it didn't and then the other giant sin that i can't it, it <laughs> just overshadows everything is oh the final fight scene they try <laughs> to say we're supposed to believe that Ghostface. Whichever one it ends up being, you know, I, I we know it's working in twos and hold on, but there really we're quick. supposed to, I wanted to set that scene before you kind of went into the description of the climax because it takes place on stage for a college play that Sydney's going to be in where she's playing Cassandra and I don't remember what the play is. I, I think it's meant to be like Antigone or something. Something. And I don't remember. I feel like they, they, they showed like a poster of it in Scream 3. And I don't remember what the thing was because I can only think about how bad it was. Like, why would they put her? I just, none of it makes sense. It does not hold up any kind of um, critical thought. None of it makes sense in real life. Like, in what world is she not taking a gap year one bef- like before going to college? But two, what college professor, because you know that they know what she has been through. It's very famous. It made national news. So in what world would they cast her as the lead where she is surrounded by people running around her in big masks that don't not look like the ghost face mask too much? You know, like, it's just a, it doesn't make it, I just, oof, it, one of the things that she does is it's on on this stage and their theater, this college theater, and they want us to believe that she, like the ghost-faced killer, was defeated with foam props that are clearly, you can tell just by the way that gravity works, it, you can see it, that they are light and they are foam and they are props for yes. a theater play. And they want us to believe that it has the same weight as, like, a concrete block. And they even use the sound, like, fully. They, like, fully in, like, the sound of, like, actual rocks crumbling. But you can so clearly tell it's not. And so we're supposed to believe that what they're they're made of, not even, like, good paper mache, like, paper mache made out of really thin receipt paper. I just, it, I, I, oh. So, first of all, it should be noted that Scream 2 was quite literally rushed into production. Mm-hmm. Like, Scream 1 mm-hmm. was sort of sort of a surprise success, and they just mm-hmm. sort of scrambled to throw together a movie. And I think Scream 2 was actually quite, sort of being actively written on set at times. Even still, I think that Scream 2 works pretty solidly as a sequel. Like I, I love how Sydney deals with how Sydney's dealing with the the sort of fallout of that because the because in the interim, I'll, some time has to have passed. Even though chronologically in our world, those movies are only released like a year apart, if that. Like they are very close together. But chronologically, a fair amount of time has to have passed because between Scream One and Scream Two, they make stab. They like they make a whole movie about those murders. Because they like that's part of the running joke that the opening kill is uh, Jada Pinkett Smith going to um, going to the movie to the premiere of Stab and being killed in the audience uh, by someone dressed as Ghostface, but everyone's dressed as Ghostface, so it sort of leaves it. Uh, they even gave them like uh, this was the best. Um, I would love to go to a movie premiere like this. Uh, sorry, movie premiere like this costumes. because they gave them like whole costumes and even prop knives and every like they gave the ticket and then they're handed like a huge swag bag 
where are these showings happening? Because <laughs> well, we, uh, they're happening in California. Well, because they we were are supposed poor. to be. That college was supposed to be in Ohio. So what's the deal? I say. Yeah, that was that was confusing too because the the theater is very plainly like an actual California theater. Um, I forgot what the the Bayou, I think, or the Bizu or something like that. And and it's it's a real theater in California. But yeah. one of the the dialogue for one of the characters uh, in the lobby is someone saying, "No, this was based on a real movie. This really happened in California." So it's very confusing where this opening is supposed to take place. But like because they put that opening, they're trying to recreate what happened in Scream, like the opening kill. It's like. They're establishing that as kind of one of the big things, markings of a Scream movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but because they did that without any kind of context for where Sydney is with the movie is taking place, you don't know if that is taking place in California, if that's taking place in Ohio where she's in college. You don't know. So it feels re- it feels really disconnected from the when Casey and Steve died, it was directly connected to Sydney because it was her classmates in her high school and her town. This one, it felt disconnected from Sydney's storyline because we don't know, did they go to college together? What What's the deal? They do establish that. They do establish that she went to class with Sydney. So it is it is meant to be in the same college town. The fact that they used a California theater that is sort of a known California theater is weird, mm-hmm. but it you can... You can, in your mind, suspend disbelief and say, it's clearly just a theater with the same name in Ohio. Mind you, they don't tend to have huge Hollywood-style premieres like that Mm -hmm. in places like Ohio, but, you know, whatever. They did for this. You can kind of shrug it off. And that does work. That kill is not related to Sydney, but it's not meant to be. Only half of the killers are related to Sydney. Mrs. Loomis wants to kill Sydney because of what happened with Billy. Mickey doesn't want to kill Sydney specifically. He just wants to piggyback off of her fame into having a big famous trial. And he just wants to kill because they what did didn't they meet online or something? Yes. And so he was just try he just wanted to be a what he wanted to be when he grew up was a, a famous murderer. He wanted to be like Dahmer, I guess, and go to prison For sure. and be worshipped like Manson in jail. Because he said that he said that Billy's whole plan was was stupid because it's not about the kills. It's about the trial afterward. It's going to be the trial of the century. I think that you kind of forget that because the other reveal is that it's Mrs. Loomis. And because that character has been in plain view the whole movie. And it's a good twist because she's so, so good. Laurie Metcalf is so fucking good at playing the sort of at times, you can't tell whether she's as sharp as she appears or if she's as dingy as she appears because she plays the two sides so well. So, like, she seems like a wannabe Gail Weathers, mm-hmm. and she always seems to be incisive enough to be at just the right place at the right time, but always says the wrong thing to piss everyone off, which, of course, blows them off of any tale that they may have of her because they think that she's a big dingus. So that reveal is great. And I think that Mickey being sort of the stooge that she sort of ropes in as just the useful idiot works perfectly. And even the cafeteria romance musical number scene, it's cringy. But to me, it's not cringy because it happens. It's just cringy because I don't feel like Jerry O'Connell and Nev Campbell had really any chemistry. 
to speak romantically. Like yeah, they seem like no. they'd be good friends, but they don't seem like they're into each other romantically. They didn't so, have they didn't have chemistry the way that Nev Campbell and Skeet Ulrich did. Exactly. Like those two, I believed as a couple. I don't buy Jerry O'Connell and Nev Campbell. Not their fault. That's like that's what the script called for. It's just that those two, they just don't seem to click as, like that. But that even that, I can I can excuse the cringy musical number scene because Jerry O'Connell is kind of like Dewey. He's an earnest doof. To me, it's the climax of the movie that that where the movie stumbles before mm-hmm. the finish line because the movie has been pretty good up until that point, and the twist of killing off Randy halfway through the movie is almost like the new yeah. the new sort of psycho homage. You would think it's Jada Pinkett, but we know she's going to die because we know that they're setting up the opening kill just like they did in Scream. Mm-hmm. Randy dying is the big twist because he was such a fan favorite character, and then boop, he's gone. Sorry, great twist. But it's the, they're on this stage and Nev Campbell or Sydney like runs backstage and starts flipping random switches. If, if like a sandbag had fallen on her, that would have been one thing. If mm-hmm. the like ropes had come loose and like the rods that hold the curtains up had fallen on her, that would be one thing. But it's the like flashing of lightning, but like, it's not real lightning disorienting, maybe flashing lights, but it's not real lightning. It's not a real thunderstorm you know that but they try to play it like it's real and mm-hmm. they try to like almost make you think like oh they i don't know if they like want you to think that they've transcended reality at a point but then like when the big the big way that they take out mrs loomis is knocking over that stone wall of obviously foam bricks they're always foam bricks and sometimes in cheap movies you can tell that they're foam bricks but this isn't that. This isn't I mean, like, it was a oh, college those are bad theater. effects. It's a college theater. It was a theater. college theater. So they looked like brick foam bricks that you would expect in a college theater production. Exactly. It's crazy because it's a the college theater they production. Fold, but they also folded in sounds of like actual rocks crumbling. And like they like do that zoom in on her and she actually gets knocked over. Like... She should be able to swat those out of the way. And the fact that that is how they take her out is what really hurts the movie for me. Because I mean, she also, I think, got shot, didn't she? Because you after, after I that, be- yeah. But like that was the thing that like that's the thing got that her ends down. the immediate threat. Yeah, and it's not like you know, it's not like when Sydney pops out of the closet and stabs uh, Billy in the chest with an umbrella. Or, or like wrestling with uh, stew on the ground and then tipping a TV over on his head. Mm-hmm. This is literally foam rocks that somehow have enough force to knock her mm-hmm. over and remove her as a threat long enough for them to actually kill her by shooting her. But like, what a weak way to take her out. It's such a letdown since the, the previous movies, the whole climax is fantastic. The, the, like, the reveal of Billy and Stu actually being the killer, the reveal of why they're doing what they're doing, the fact that it's because Sydney's mom was sleeping with Billy's dad, it's the fact that Billy actually did kill Sydney's mom out of revenge, it's the fact that he framed Cotton Weary and she pegged the wrong guy and sent an innocent man to prison, it's the fact that her dad's been missing the entire movie and is like primary suspect number one, but then it turns out he's been kidnapped and is about to be pinned for the whole thing, it's such a like series of like bam 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 big reveals and then two it's it's billy's mom makes sense it's mickey okay it makes sense he's a useful idiot and then it's run around on the stage for a bit shenanigans ensue 
rocks fall, everyone dies. <laughs> it's it's bad. It's a bad ending to what was otherwise a good movie. So for Debbie Loomis, you know, the reporter lady, mm-hmm. she was shot in the neck and shot in the forehead with a handgun because Sydney shot her in the neck and then Cotton shot her in the forehead. Yeah. Do you want to know what it took to kill Mickey? He was shot in the shoulder and then shot 16 times in the chest with two <laughs> handguns. Like that's, but that's clearly meant to be sort of a joke, right? Like the ending of the previous movie, Randy says, be careful. The killer always comes back for one final scare. And Billy has enough time to go. Bah! And then she just immediately shoots him in the head. And so the, it's almost sort of a joke. And you can almost see Wes Craven sort of being like, ah, because Mickey like yeah. pops up covered in blood does this like like crazy scream and then gets shot (laughs) like a dozen times Mm -hmm. it's it's like it's funny that doesn't bother me it's using the college play set against her but not in ways that would be clever in ways where we're supposed to believe it's real it just it was it was inexcusable but that actually kind of leads me into three if you don't mind yeah for sure So part of what made three so bad, I feel like, is that they lost the original formula of it always being two killers. Because in Scream 3, it wasn't. It was all that dumbass Roman Bridger. That was secret half-brother. What? Yeah. It was just... I, I don't have a lot to say about Scream 3 because it's just bad. The only good thing that you find in Scream 3 is it has some more development, character development for Sydney. Uh, so it shows that she lives in like an isolated community. Uh, she lives out in the country on her own. She takes security really seriously, doesn't even use her real name when she's working the phone lines and stuff. So it shows that, you know, how, how much she has been affected by, you know, what has happened to her in the you know past two movies and and her life since she you know was 16 but other than that there's i mean cotton appears for a minute and then he dies but also he just appears as a dick who's just like gone hollywood and has got that's his character famous also well yeah but also he wanted to redeem himself to sydney because he hadn't felt like he got actual forgiveness from her so he wanted to redeem himself and be the hero what he wanted was to cynically well he wanted the interview to orchestrate a big interview and make it look like they made up because he went to prison wrongfully and that's fair to a point like his livelihood his life was fucking ruined by her so it's kind of fair to want a little bit out of the situation when you get out of it but yeah. it is also very clear that you're he's trying to be reasonable cynically, in an unreasonable movie there, Cotton. Well, he's he's it is also clear he's trying to cynically manipulate the situation. Mm-hmm. Like at the in the finale, he doesn't save Sydney out of the kindness of his heart. Mm-hmm. He saves her because he gets to be the hero. Mm-hmm. And that's the way he wants the ending to be, because it's a way to ultimately redeem him since he was always thought of as the villain. Of course, now he is Cotton weary the saver of sydney prescott you know well and he was i guess technically the second person to it kind they didn't even do the 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 kind of death scene at the beginning 
of the movie like all the rest of the screams, did they? No, they do. Yeah, the opening of the movie is... Because it shows that Christine with... is the first one to die. Right, but what happens is in Scream 3, it starts with Cotton in the car, mm-hmm. and he gets a phone call from someone who, by the way, side note, because the, the, the gimmick of part of the gimmick of Scream 3 is that the killer has one of like a, like a smart voice changer instead of just having the, the box that mm-hmm. makes the Roger Jackson sounding voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one is able to like record people's vo- voice and sort of like artificially recreate them. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of science fiction nonsense for the year 2000, I mean, although yeah, it's not it, anymore. It is now because the TikTok voice does it. Yeah, but like kudos to the casting directors. The voice of the woman that is talking to Cotton Weary on the phone in the beginning of Scream 3 is like the perfect female version of the Roger Jackson voice. Like Roger Jackson's voice is really low. There's this rasp and sort of like bass to it, but not like not like a Tony Todd bass. It's just sort of a rasp and a sort of baritone sound. And he has such a suave way of talking where he's like, I want to know who I'm talking to. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and then the woman that talks to him has that. I think maybe it's like the vocal fry thing. And the woman that talks to him has that same thing. That's sort of like very sultry, low voice. And she has this sort of rasp in her voice. That is her delivery is goddamn fucking perfect. Beat for beat. The same as Roger Jackson's. It is eerie how perfect, at least to my ears, that that was. Mm-hmm. And I think that that scene works well enough. Like, cause the opening thing is like cotton is flash forward a few years cotton has his own talk show now he like has fully capitalized on his tragic life story and he gets the phone call from what he thinks is a fan but it turns out is the killer who is stalking his girlfriend Girlfriend. i guess and he rushes home to save her and there is a little bit of a glimpse into their fucked up life because she sort of says something to him like cotton i don't want to play this game where like uh, I guess he's pretended to be the ghost face killer in some sort of really weird, gross sex game before that she clearly wasn't a fan of. And that's what she thinks is happening at first. He comes home. She attacks him because mm-hmm. she thinks that he's the killer. And then he sees the killer creeping up behind her and tries to warn her. She dies. And then he dies. He gets killed by the yep. killer also. Yeah. But like that still works in that it's still an opening kill and it's still a surprise because Cotton Weary is one of the central characters of the mythology. He is the person that was pinned as the, the killer in the first movie. Like his whole reason for being in prison is because they think he raped and murdered Maureen Prescott. So it, it is a good opening kill. And then it's like, Oh shit, they killed off cotton weary. He's like the guy, but then they don't introduce any other connection. Like there's no other characters from the other besides, you know, obviously, you know, Dewey and Gail. So Gail shows up with her bangs. Um, <laughs> all the bangs. All the bangs. They're so bad. Um, the bangs shows up, but, but like they kind of play a little bit of a role in the movie. I felt like there was a lot of um, goofiness that was had in this movie that didn't, yes. it wasn't meta. It was trying to be meta, but wasn't clever it was just bad and and it it was like they broke from the rules they broke the rules uh in every screen movie there's two killers and in this one there's one and it's bad so it's worth noting that scream 3 was written by somebody else it was not written by kevin williamson he uh did not 
um, for whatever reason, didn't, I don't think he had time. I think he was too busy with Dawson's Creek and didn't have time to write the third movie. And so someone else wrote the third movie. Mm-hmm. So I actually liked the third movie way more this time whenever we re- did our rewatch than I did the previous times I had watched it. And I kind of, it's because I kind of accepted it as almost its own thing. Like I, I, I know that it's the third in the series and meant to be sort of the closing chapter. And it does not work as a closing chapter. It is epic in the wrong places and funny in the wrong places. And then in the third one, it was just they went to Hollywood and it was all about the making of Stab 3, I think. Um, Which is meant to be clever. It's a it, the Scream 3 is about the making of Stab 3. Someone has read the script and is killing the cast off in the order that they yeah. die in the script. Yeah. And. As far as connections to Sydney goes, yes, that is so weak they killed because off- it doesn't tie to Sydney yeah, in so any way. It, the first, so Cotton was killed. I mean, he was going to die regardless, I, I think. Well, he dies first in the movie in, in Stab 3. But yeah, Ghostface Roman calls Cotton, like asks where she lives because he knows that she's in contact or that he knew that uh, Cotton was in contact with her. And then when he didn't say, um, then Ghostface broke into his home and murdered Cotton and Christine. Um, he was going to die anyway. Yeah, he was going to die anyways, I think. Cotton has a cameo in Stab 3, and he's the first character to die in Stab 3. Yeah. And so the killer kills him yeah. in Scream 3, and then starts killing off the cast. But in the second one, the deaths that aren't tied to Sydney make sense because Mickey doesn't care about Sydney. Mickey is using Sydney as an excuse to get famous on his own. Yeah. Roman, who is the only killer in Scream 3, his motivations are meant to be that he's sort of getting back at Sydney for having the life that he didn't get to have because he was, I think, the product of rape. I think he was the baby. Because Maureen, part of the Scream 3 that is sort of admirable is that it makes, it's a movie about the sort of rape culture of Hollywood, the way that producers and, and some directors have these sort of like seedy secrets, orgies and things and sort of pressure young actresses into having sex with them so that they can then supposedly get these bigger roles. And that's what happens to Maureen. She wants she tried to be an actress. She got brought to one of those parties and and raped. And I think Roman was meant to be the product of that, that she gave up for adoption before she went back to Woodsboro and started having her regular life. And so Roman's trying to sort of kill Sydney to take back the life so, that he feels should have been his yes. because he does he mention that he went to Maureen. Um, so so he he was rejected by Maureen and it says that he convinced Billy Loomis to murder Maureen. Yes. And therefore making him the original architect of all the ghost face stuff but uh um, which kind of cheapens it, billy's yes. motivation because his entire motivation yeah. was that he was getting back at killing maureen for sleeping with his dad and so it kind of it's know, just it, it's trash it, it i i feel like most people don't feel like it's canon and i understand i mean why. it's definitely canon i mean it's only, like you don't want i don't want to the killing of the people in scream 3 is weak because roman's motivations are fine but the people that die in the movie aren't re- directly related to Sydney. They're dying in order of the script that's written, which sucks because it like it doesn't make sense. It doesn't matter. Like that that doesn't matter to Sydney beyond mm-hmm. oh no, someone's dressed as Ghostface. And so there's some nice stuff that they do, like addressing some of Maureen's past and stuff. 
that's all fine but the actual murders don't really tie into mm-hmm. anything and so it makes the movie feel weird and that's on top of the movie is effectively a big r-rated scooby-doo episode mm-hmm. I don't think that's being unfair to the movie. I think that's almost intentional Mm -hmm. because there's a lot more of like the gang all sort of running around together and being sort of almost absurd and screwball Mm -hmm. in a way that they're just not in the first two. So the first two movies are funny, but they're funny from the characters having interactions and having like clever wordplay and being real people that we're invested in. And the third one is more like cartoon characters. And then there's these weird fourth wall breaking moments like when um jay and silent bob the real Mm -hmm. characters jay and silent bob show up on set not kevin smith making a jay and silent bob movie in hollywood just those people exist in this world as real people that we recognize it's like a weird cameo so it feels like a scooby-doo episode like oh hey scoob it's i don't know harlem globetrotters player blah 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 Mm -hmm. like it just feels weird and out of place But it's also fun, and Piper Parabo is fucking hilarious in that movie. Like, I love her so much. I did not have fun during it. I No. It's, ugh. There's a lot of people on Twitter who are sort of reevaluating two and three, and some people are, like, ranking three above two, and I would not go that far. Mm -mm. Like, I do not think that three is a better movie than two. I think two is definitely better, but, oh boy, I I don't hate three like I used to. I think it's dumb, but fun. We are going to have to agree to disagree because I just, no, I don't, I, no, I, mm. it's not, it's just not (laughs) it for me. And if it's that for if it's it for you, then that's cool. But like for being what it tries to take away from scream one and two is just, uh, just no. Yeah. The scene where Sydney goes to the recreation of her house is meant to feel like this really emotional moment of her sort of like grappling with her past and stuff. And they try to do that by like revealing Roman as the secret architect behind it all, but it just doesn't work because the rest of the movie isn't based around Sydney, which is kind of not entirely the movie's fault either, because part of the reason Sydney's not in like the first half of the movie is because Nev Campbell was busy and couldn't join them in filming for a while, so her part was reduced. So maybe this makes me a crazy person, but maybe if you're making a Scream movie, maybe wait until your main character has a clear schedule. And I know that maybe that's not how it works in Hollywood, and I get it, but whenever you don't, you get movies like Scream 3. Scream 3 is not that bad to me. It's just not great. It's a sort of weird unnecessary if you consider it canon then it takes away like it is a thousand percent canon because heather madurazo was introduced in it as randy's sister okay but some parts can be canon but do you believe that all the roman stuff is accurate because roman set up everything that that's what like i i just no i mean if you're really wanting to justify it you could say that like roman is who told billy that maureen was sleeping with his dad because he knew billy would be mad enough to go kill him maybe even like but if he grew up in hollywood and away from woodsboro then how did he know about that billy would do that because maybe he talked to billy and learned like because consider this okay billy is a huge movie fan roman is a director and like lived in hollywood 
working in Hollywood. So it would be just as easy. If you can accept that Mrs. Loomis found Mickey online and I just sort can't. of convinced That's him. That's the whole thing. I can't. <laughs> but can we move on to four? Yes. Four is so great. Four is great. 11 years later, we get a return to Woodsboro, which I think is this, the biggest mm-hmm. strength. And I think that's some of the biggest weaknesses of two and three mm-hmm. is that Woodsboro is such a well-developed town to then pick all that up and transplant it somewhere else. It feels alien in a way that four felt like coming home. And of course, it makes sense for there to be someone who tries to make, be a copycat killer of the most famous murder in this town. Because especially the Scream stuff only took place a year. It took a place a year after Maureen's death. Yeah. So they have been planning everything for a year, I guess. I don't, I don't know mm-hmm. why they. Well, I mean, because they love horror movies. I will say this. The only and I mean the only thing that two and three have that is better than scream four is that they included red right hand and yeah red right hand is such a it's an iconic it is scream it is a huge thing and i don't understand why they didn't include it in four but okay it was made up for in five Scream 4 is really, really good. I love Kirby. I think it's the best character. I was glad that there was some actual um, realistic, I guess, or believable motivation for the killers. Like that was, I was glad for that because it was a lot less uh, convoluted than I'm your secret half-brother from whenever your mom had a secret career with a secret name in Hollywood and then I went and planted the seed of murdering her to a weird 15 year old boy uh, who I confided in but at least this one was it was more believable and less complicated I think that what makes one four and five work and feel like movies in the same series where two and three at times can feel sort of alien is that the the horror movie parody stuff in the first one works really really well because it's pulling on a back catalog of like 20 or 30 years of horror movies so there's a lot of material there to sort of parody and play with but when you go into the second one there aren't necessarily a lot of actual sequels in horror Mm -hmm. like there are franchises but those franchises don't have rules any different than the first one so there's not like a, a sequel formula like you have to start pulling in really weird things like Godfather Part Two and stuff, and like it just doesn't work. There's no horror stuff to spoof. And the third one, there are especially no trilogies in horror to speak mm-hmm. of, or very very few. And if you they do, they tried to make it with like, oh well, it's the finale rules and mm-hmm. stuff, but there wasn't. I mean, you're kind of making up your own rules. Yeah, it it just feels it feels weird. It, whereas four is incisive and because yeah. it's it's been like 15 years since the the first one the movie industry has changed so much and so and te- like society mm-hmm. has changed so craven has so much more to pull from and play with like streaming becomes a thing cell phones are a thing the they get to talk about like the torture porn craze of the of the aughts that like, that we deal with in the fallout of 911 and like there's just mm-hmm. so much and like and they can play on the concept of like these huge legacy lineage franchises like uh it's four i think that starts with a bunch of kills over and over again where they sort of talk about the convoluted timeline of the stab series where stab six is or stab seven is stab 
six like back in time or some nonsense Mm -hmm. and like you get to play with that but then the movie is not about time travel instead the movie is about fame seeking in the same way that the first one and kind of the second one are the the motives feel more grounded in reality and the kills what what's great about it as well i'm sorry i don't mean to talk over you a bunch no you're Uh, fine what 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 works so great about it is that sydney isn't necessarily the main character Mm -hmm. rather than having yet another thing try to connect to her instead it's just here's someone going through the same experience that you did you can be here for them and protect them which means that the kills kind of like the second one and what makes the second one work as well as it does is that the kills don't have to be connected to sydney Mm -hmm. because that's not the killer's motive the killer's motive is, again, to sort of piggyback off of Sydney's fame, ultimately, because they reveal that it's her cousin who's the killer or one of the killers. You get that same thing of like, it's not about you, Sydney. It's about me being the new you. I want to be the new survivor girl that everyone loves and talks about. Mm-hmm. I just have to orchestrate it myself because I guess I wasn't lucky enough to have someone try to murder me. I'll just do the murder in myself mm-hmm. and, and pin it on who was it they were going to pin it on? Uh Oh, it was going to be Jill's ex-boyfriend. Boyfriend? Yes. yes. Her ex-boyfriend, Trevor. That's right. So it was went back to the two-killer formula. I loved what they did with the, like, stab six openings into stab seven. Um, yeah. And got to kind of really, like you were talking about, make fun of, the, like, all these movies having their crazy, having stab six be the opening to stab seven. But then are we living in step eight? Like it was just silly. And I felt like that was, it was really nice. But then to also then have the actual um, scream kill open was really, really good. And it was really brutal. It was, what was it? Stabbed in the stomach, thrown through a glass door, then stabbed more then hung from a ceiling fan. Like it was a lot like the Casey Becker mm-hmm. kill at the beginning of scream. So I thought that was all great. I felt like all the acting was done really well. Just, the cast is so The cast great. was so great. Effectively having sort of almost three Randys because you have the two obvious sort of stand-ins for Randy, mm-hmm. um, the, the, the two guys that are sort of from the AV club. Mm-hmm. And then Kirby is also kind of Randy, but she's also kind of Tatum. Like she has this cool factor to her and a confidence that that's not, randy because randy's meant to be a, a tweaky nerd and that's what the two av guys are there for but i i just i love the 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 dynamic the the way of basically taking some of the same archetypes from the original bringing them forward and then just tilting them slightly there's so much about that i love how the opening of scream 4 basically looks at the previous three scream movies and says everyone knows scream starts with an opening kill that starts with a creepy phone call so what if we make fun of that and we just do that like a bajillion times mm-hmm. we just do it over and over again and then you can kind of move on to say like this is a different movie we're doing our own thing now mm-hmm. we're not going to try to necessarily recreate the original or tie anything back in this isn't an ongoing legacy even though it's technically a legacy sequel, this is a new story. And in fact, it was meant to be a, the first of a new trilogy. Yeah. So I feel like you can almost kind of call like one, four, and five the Woodsboro Chronicles. Yeah. You know, uh, because it, four developed a lot more of like the culture of, of Woodsboro. 
of yeah. like how they had like the book opening, like the book signing and stuff and everything like that. Like how Dewey was now the sheriff. So we got to develop his character more and Gail was still doing, you know, her reporter thing, but she was also a best-selling author um, mm-hmm. and uh, everything like that. Loved Alison Bree's character yes that's also i would consider that an iconic death i liked how it paid homage to the first one without just being a straight up recreation of the first one Mm -hmm. um i felt like that was really good uh oddly enough this one uh scream 4 has the biggest kill count in the whole thing although that is counting in three of them are from like the stab openings Uh, But even if you subtract those, it still has 11 kills, not counting Kirby. So that is technically the most because the first movie was technically eight. If you count Maureen, so it's actually seven. Wait, five. Steven, Casey, Arthur, Tatum, Kenny, Stu, and Billy. Uh, I mean, are you counting the killers? Well, it's, it's what's counted on my little website that I have pulled up. So I guess technically one, two, three, four, five people were killed. And then in Scream 2, it was eight people killed in Scream 2. Scream 3 was nine. And then in Scream 4, not counting the stab openings, it's nine killed. I don't know. I just, I loved how they had like stabathons that really developed how like went back to the high school to talk about how stab and the Woodsboro murders from 15 years prior still affected the culture of Woodsboro. And and just so Dewey seeing his character journey go from being officer doofy in like kind of junior officer rookie in the first scream to being off duty recovering in scream two. I don't, I guess, was he technically a cop in Scream 3? Well, so, no, Scream 3. No, yeah, no, he went to Hollywood. Yeah, Scream what 3, he he's he's dating the the Piper Parabo who was playing uh, Gail Weathers in Stab 3, and he was brought on set as a consultant. Yeah, that's right. But then to have him go into Scream 4 becoming the sheriff uh, was, you know, good for him. Holding yeah, elected office. He, he really and... kind of comes into his own. And mm-hmm. one of the things I really like is how he has always tried to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And he's always tried to be there to like protect his friends. Mm-hmm. And because that's ultimately what they are, is they're his friends. Mm-hmm. So he's always tried to be there to protect them. I really like how Four sort of shows the I, I would say the culmination of that, but it's not because the fifth one is really the culmination. But the just the way that, that he is still trying to do the right thing, still mm-hmm. trying to help people. Like, of course he became sheriff and like to protect his town. Mm-hmm. Of course he would. After going through that three times, he absolutely would feel yeah. like I'm going to do what I can to keep the people safe. Yeah, absolutely. So like seeing that kind of stuff change and develop, like I, I absolutely loved it. I loved like their little stab party that they had in the, in the barn. Weirdly. Yeah. Like, I thought that was fun. I have noticed, was there was there a party in all of them? There's a party at Stu's in the first one. There was the uh, fraternity or sorority party thing in the second one they go yeah. to. Were there any parties technically in the third one? No, because the third one was during the shooting of Stab yeah. 3. So there was so no, there was see, never... see, that's even how it was, ugh. Not following the uh, it bad, 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 bad. 
but I love that they had the party out in the like they were watching Stab on the anniversary. Like I just thought that was great. The motivation that Jill had, just wanting to be famous, wanting to be a star, wanting to be the survivor, wanting to be the new Sydney. Mm-hmm. Especially, I love one of my favorite parts of her, where you can like really see her character was after she had like killed Charlie. She was going to be the sole survivor because mm-hmm. she also assumed that you know Sydney had died. But mm-hmm. having like how she like posed herself, uh, yes. reaching out to Sydney, like trying to be like, oh, it was my my dear departed cousin, and then just seeing her like in seventh heaven as all the cameras were popping and recording her and flashing mm-hmm. in her face as she was like being led to lay in the ambulance. Yep. I just thought it was great, and even even whenever the gig was up and she was she knew she was caught and going to prison and that like she wasn't going to get away with this like in the hospital like she was still going to do it because any kind of famous is better than no famous at all you know i don't think so i think that she was going to i think she basically changed the script and was going to kill dewey and gail and then have it be where like sydney was ultimately the killer that like tried to kill her i th- i think was sort of how her because originally what she was going to do was kill Sydney because Sydney was the person who mm-hmm. knew what everything was. And then she snuck into Sydney's room to kill her because Sydney was the only one who knew she was the killer. Yeah. So if Sydney dies, because she wasn't going to like stab her or something, she was going to kill her sort of semi-naturally of hospital-itis, yeah. you know, like smother her or, I don't know, inject a bubble in her IV or some bullshit. That would be like, oh, she died of her injuries in the yeah. hospital. How sad. And then no one would know she was the killer because Dewey and Gail didn't. It's the fact that she tipped her hand too much and Dewey mm-hmm. figured it out that kind of made a, like made her. I don't think it was any famous is better than not famous. I think she was going to kill everyone mm-hmm. and try to pin it on Sydney instead. Like mm-hmm. Sydney, oh, Sydney was actually the killer and I just happened to survive. And thank goodness she tried to finish the job. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, yeah, this was it was just so good. I I really really enjoyed it. And then um, going into Scream Five, I didn't watch any trailers for it. Me I didn't watch any trailers for it. I didn't watch any reviews or interviews or anything. I had I wouldn't even let you tell me if people even gave it positive or negative reviews. Like I wouldn't even let you read me tweets about it. I wanted to know nothing going in, mm-hmm. um, which I'm glad I did because I was so pleasantly surprised by everything. Everything. Everything about it. I was so happy with I knew it wasn't going to be Wes. And I was so, so, so sad about that. But it being made by the guys who made Ready or Not. Love that movie. Um, that movie is Love it. It's excellent. so good. So I knew that it kind of it was in good hands and it was i was i was so happy with how everything played out but i just i i loved it and it brought back the it made up for scream 4 not having red right hand in such a great way mm-hmm. um i just and also one of the things i loved about it was that it had as like a, almost like a cameo spot Kyle Gallner was in it, which was great because the thing that I know Kyle Gallner from, which but I know him from the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street, which was also a remake of Wes Craven's other most famous 
film series. So I thought it was, I don't know, it was a nice little, it had so many homages. It was also really, really funny. I loved how it uh, played with the the jump scares. You even got, got by oh a jump gosh, scare. Yes. Which was, it was great. Scream 5 was so incisive at, again, it's one of those things where like it jumps forward 10 mm-hmm. years or so. And because of that, there's been a whole decade of new horror genre tropes mm-hmm. that they can sort of play with and discuss. I love the sort of the conversation about elevated horror that they have. Oh, loved it. And I, I love, this is one of those movies where God bless them. They had exactly, they approached this with exactly the right mindset of like yeah. the, the same spirit that Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson did. Absolutely. And that like, they're going to play with the formula. So everyone knows that scream starts with an opening kill where scream four just does it a hundred times. Mm-hmm. Like you like that? What about that? What about that? Scream five says, what if not? What if we don't? So it sets up an opening kill. It has the same thing with like the phone call, the conversation, the being stalked, the, the being score. stabbed. And she lives. She lives. She's one of the main characters. I loved it. I loved how they included more people of color. I mm-hmm. I just, I, I loved all the tropes. Loved it. And I could tell it was made by people who love the series. And that was something that definitely came across the screen. You know what I mean? Without being masturbatory, which was nice. Yeah. So it was just, I, yeah, I, 10 out of 10, absolutely loved it. If Brandon ever finds an empty theater that we can all go see it in, I, I would absolutely see it again. You Like you were talking about the jump scares and like, there's this sequence with one of the characters, uh, Wes, who of course, oh. <sighs> I didn't even realize until after. But there's this character, Wes, and one, they play with the, the, the concept of like the shower scene. Instead of having a woman taking a shower and being stabbed, it's Wes, a male character who is taking a shower and placed in the same sort of vulnerable position. And Judy is brought back from the fourth one, which I loved that they brought her back, that they didn't just try to pretend like the previous movies didn't happen entirely. Her being sheriff now makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. And her being Wes's mom is just like, of course, because we don't really know anything about her her personal life, mm-hmm. you know, from in four. She's just kind of there to be Gail Weathers' antagonist of sorts. So, like, getting to see more of her personal life and being like, here's her son. And, like, the killer calling her and torturing her, kind of similar to the way the killer does with Cotton in the third one. Like, calling her and being like, oh, I'm going to kill this person that's very close to you. You're not going to make it in time. And then killing her instead in broad daylight on the front lawn. Holy and, shit. And I loved that these were were smart characters. They took self-defense classes. They fought back. It wasn't just dumb yes. kills, you know? They're not dummies running into like stupid places. They're do they're making the right decisions. It's just still not working. Even um, but they even decide to leave town. Like the kind of mm-hmm. st- the Sydney stand-ins, because uh, other than Sydney, who is in the movie, she can't cameos in this. I feel like not really cameo, but it's also she wasn't a main character. But sort of the the main character, the final girls in this movie, they make the decision like, no, this is stupid. Just stay here. Like, let's leave town. Well, kind of. They get tricked. Yeah. The, it's the boyfriend who suggests let's get the fuck out of town. But they tell us in the movie first thing: examine your friend group. It's it's probably someone. It's always the love interest. It's always yep. they were like it's always a love interest. Like is it you? You're like you're probably it. And then like and then they go out of their way to show like it's definitely not him. It couldn't be him. It has to be someone else. And they don't lie, but they definitely try to 
they lead you in the wrong direction and it goes so well. And, it's and, perfect. Oh, it's perfect. It's so good. In the fourth one, they kind of at times try to make Trevor kind of like Billy Loomis and mm-hmm. that they're, he's like kind of meant to be the cool guy, but he has this at times has this sort of edge to him. You know, I wouldn't have scenes. thought it was Trevor if, if they wouldn't, if he would have just done a big serenade in the cafeteria, then <laughs> I would have been for sure that it wasn't him. Instead of like Trevor, they try to do a Billy Loomis thing in the mm-hmm. fourth one where he's, you know, ha- at times has sort of an edge, mm-hmm. even though he's not ultimately the killer. They give him these characteristics that make him seem like he could be the killer. And with this one, even though the boyfriend is ultimately who ends up one being one of the killers, it's just so clever because his entire characterization is too nice. Mm-hmm. Nothing about him conveys killer. Matthew Lillard and Ski Ulrich in the original movie, they kind of exude killer yes. energy. Yeah. They're very but sinister. But this guy was a nice guy, but not in the way he wasn't over nice guy. You know what not I mean? Not a creepy nice guy. Not a capital N, capital yeah. G nice guy. Because just he, you nice. know, he seemed like a normal dude, you know, cleared out all the kids from the party, which ended up surprise twist being at Stu's house I thought that somehow Stu was going to come back into this because finally finally hashtag justice for Stu we finally <laughs> got more Stu in this movie no we didn't by name drop they mentioned him more than they ever have so justice for Stu is going to be my tagline for this movie ultimately I still wish that they had made Stu the sort of secret mastermind even though I know it's probably kind of hammy I, I don't know it's I just no more really... hammy than her secret half-brother being the mastermind yeah. I do well so one thing I do like is again it's one of those playing with the formula things and the really really cool thing about scream 5 is that they they do this thing where they play with lineage and I I mm-hmm. love that the main character because you're right sydney's not the main character this time around mm-hmm. in the fourth one she's far more of a main character mm-hmm. because it is a movie about her and about her mm-hmm. legacy even though it's a new generation mm-hmm. that's sort of grappling with that in this one she's not really much of a presence which is fine because they go through pains to introduce correctly a cast that you care about and that you give you stakes so like mm-hmm. the opening kill even though it's not a kill we then that is our way of learning the actual main character who we learn is the daughter of Billy Loomis. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that he hooked up with someone in high school, either while he was dating Sydney or before he was dating Sydney. It's not entirely clear. She got pregnant and kept it a secret who the d- dad really was, which is the kind of thing that sounds very soap opery, but also perfectly works it sounds People way more likely other. and realistic than sydney's mother being a secret hollywood star and never telling yeah. her but then having a secret identity but also having a kid that comes back later uh, when sydney's 15 and then uh, she's like no and then he's like no i'm gonna kill you so i'm gonna go find a small kid that's somehow connected to sydney and then reveal this secret it, no but i just I I love that. And I love how it sort of grapples with she doesn't want to be like her father. Mm -hmm. And like, of course, if you learn that you're the offspring of one of the most infamous killers in this world, like, yeah. And like the the fact that he appears to her in these visions, mocking her. But it's also I loved that it's not supernatural. 
It's, yeah. And because that's one of my favorite things about Scream is that it's one of the more grounded in reality type of horror movies. Yeah, it's never supernatural. It's never supernatural other than like, you know, them always coming back for the, the last scare. But I also, it's just a thing. But I love that this was, she was, it was so troubling to her that this was kept a secret and that, you know, she had been lied to about her who her father was. And that whenever she found out, it was so devastating that her father left the family, which is just such a shitty thing to do. Because, like, I understand being devastated that, like, that's not your kid, but also, like, that's your kid. Kids, you know, one of them is yours. It was just, but it was so devastating that she started Mm -hmm. having psychotic breaks, essentially, and having hallucinations of her dad. It's also possible that she just inherited that Mm -hmm. because... Billy was not a not a healthy person. And neither like, was had, Billy's mom. Exactly. Billy was not a healthy person. He had issues. Mm-hmm. He had problems. And it makes entirely perfect sense that she would have inherited those from her dad because a lot of mm-hmm. that stuff is hereditary. But not making her the villain mm-hmm. and not leaning too hard on it either. Because a lot of movies about characters that have mental illness, it becomes like part of the plot, like, oh, are is what they're seeing real or not? And like like their mental health degrades throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case with this one. She's she can deal with her mental illness. She knows that she has hallucinations that are not there and she has medication that controls that. So when that happens, it's not a question of like, oh no, is this real or not? It's just a perpetual sort of cause of torment for her. It is character growth but not unnecessary plot nonsense it doesn't make her mental illness into plot reasons Mm -hmm. it's just there a part of her that she deals with which is great like i i love that and i love that they got skeet ulrich back oh my gosh i couldn't believe it i couldn't believe it it wasn't until it was up in the credits that i was like holy crap that was him like yeah holy shit you know like i was I thought so they had cast someone who looked it. remarkably yeah, like Yeah, I him. thought it was better CGI, and I also loved that this movie seemed to have, from what I could tell, it seemed like a lot of practical effects, which Scream 4, notably, one of the really bad things about it is that they had a digital knife, because... And a lot of the kills were sort of digital. Yeah. Because they were trying to, like, not have a knife on set. This which, one, it seemed fine, like they definitely but... had a similar corn, star- or corn syrup budget to the first yeah. one. It was just a bloody good time. I also loved how they brought it up to date with how technology has come. Having the killers find each other on this really toxic stab fan culture sort of thing, I thought was so smart. Ultimately, this is a movie about fan culture. The motivation of the killers is that they were big fans Mm -hmm. of the stab franchise And Stab 8 recently came out, and Stab 8 was widely derided because it was a big departure from the previous movies. Mm -hmm. Ghostface had a new mask. There was like a shining silver mask. He had like a sleeveless shirt on. He was using like a flamethrower, and it was directed very intelligently. The writers included this, uh, directed by Ryan Johnson. And it's such (laughs) a clear wink to the Star Wars fandom and the way they reacted to The Last Jedi incorrectly the last jedi is brilliant oh, and i will so, i will hear so no good. slander of it it's but, it's the best of the the new tridge mm-hmm, for sure they're correct though and not in the murder but like their assessment is that the stab franchise works best when it is a murder mystery 
And that's correct. Like, that's what makes the Scream movies good is when they're murder mysteries. And so they decide that the best stab movies were the ones based on true events. And therefore, they like they have to do more murders in order to generate plot for future stab movies. And I kind of think that's brilliant. Like, it sounds cartoony, like who's killing people over movies. But if you've ever spent more than five minutes in a Star Wars forum... You've seen Mm -hmm. the level of intensity and unhinged anger that they have about these movies and a a really, really fun thing. So Jack Quaid plays the boyfriend, Richie Kirsch, and he is one of the killers. So good. And Jack uh, apparently knew he was the killer they they like they did the same thing that they do a lot of the time on these because scream 2 famously had to be rewritten because uh the original killers were found out because the the script got leaked online and so they had to rewrite scream 2 and that's why mrs loomis became one of the killers and stuff like they had to kind of rework the ending and so ever since then that's like part of the plot of scream 3 was that they had multiple drafts of the script circulating so that no one knew who the killer really was and They did that in this movie, too, where they had at least some of the cast heard different things and no one knew who the killer was, except apparently Jack did. And he went online and created a stab fan account on Reddit and started posting in the Star Wars subreddits for The Last Jedi, bitching about The Last Jedi and complaining about how Ryan Johnson ruined Star Wars. Like, I don't know. It's just and he did that like a year before the movie came Mm -hmm. out way before the movie came out and someone in brazil there was some twitter account that found leaks of what was said to be the new ghost face mask and it's the shining silver ghost face mask that they use in stab eight mm-hmm. and they said oh no it looks like scream five is going to have a new ghost face mask and he even how commented did they, how on did that they create a continuity about a movie series within a movie series and then outside and then of the outside movie series, of the movie, like that's it's ugh. Uh, like someone posted that on on Reddit, and he even like commented with like, "Oh, I hope not. This would ruin it." Mm-hmm. Like, oh my gosh, that's so clever! Like, I it's, cannot believe it's so good. And then like seeing the stuff, like him surfing the subreddits and stuff, and like reading into the comments on like uh, when he was like watching YouTube reviews of the Stab series and like of Stab Eight. Mm-hmm. And uh, seeing in the, like them very clearly bringing up justice for Kirby and like letting us know Kirby was alive and stuff. Yes. Uh, which is amazing. I'm so happy. I hope that she comes back in Scream 6, which I sure hope there will be. I, I'm sure that there will be one. I kind of think that they're going. I to, hope so. I, I think that's at least an idea that they've floated because from what I've read, the reason that they called Scream 5 Scream instead of Scream 5 is because it was meant to be a new beginning (laughs) or five cream, which is another thing they bring up. They reference the drama that was created online because people were like, how come it's not five cream? And so like people were complaining about how stab eight wasn't stu eight. (laughs) (laughs) It's just those guys were so clever. They knew exactly what they wanted to talk about. And like, it's a very prescient commentary on fans and, and fan culture And the movie manages to be so loving and pay such close attention to the Scream franchise as a whole that there's so many nods to continuity without, in my opinion, at least getting distracting or like shoving things in your face. It's just little details here and there. Like, for example, Judy being the sheriff. Yes. 
having Kirby, like an interview with Kirby that's like in just one of the related videos on YouTube to just sort of like winking, wink to the fans of like the hashtag justice for Kirby mm-hmm. crew. Heather Matarazzo, who was introduced in Scream 3 as Randy's sister. Back. Like they visited she's her. Back. She's like the mom of two of the main characters in like the friend group. Yeah. And, they, and they're sort of Randy-esque. They know yeah. that Randy was their uncle and they know that Randy was killed. And so there's both like a respect to Randy's legacy and also because <laughs> they are their uncle's nibblings. Yeah. They sort of approach the situation with a similar, at times, detached and perhaps insensitive manner, dissecting Mm -hmm. the the situation. So everyone was always really um, uh, suspicious. Suspicious. I was like, suspectful. That's not a word. (laughs) Suspicious. They were all really suspicious of each other, but because they were all smart. And Mm -hmm. and so I I loved how that played out. I loved what they did with Dewey. I was so sad. But, you know, he he's not Jason Voorhees. He can only get stabbed so many times, you know. Yeah. I loved that he, you know, Gail and his marriage seemed to fall apart because he couldn't handle it. And he was a coward, Uh, but it was all just miscommunication like it was. I love that their relationship has the same problem that it has always had. They have never worked in practicality. Mm -hmm. The two characters and the two actors love each other very much. Like there is a clear connection and a sort of chemistry and an emotional livelihood to them that in practicality doesn't work because in Scream 2, Dewey and Gale broke up. They're they're not speaking to each other because Gale was pursuing her career like she wanted to and Dewey felt left behind. Mm-hmm. Um and then in 3 they again they had split up but clearly Dewey still cared about her because he was dating the person playing her in mm-hmm. the movie and then they ultimately end up together and in 4 we have a brief moment of seeing sort of their marriage and how things they're trying to make things work but then in 5 we see that ultimately the same issues cropped up again Gail's wanting to pursue her career Dewey doesn't Dewey wants to stay in Woodsboro and so they ultimately end up breaking up again. And and it's so sad, but it also works so well for these characters and for this arc. And it also makes sense that Dewey, especially because of the way he left, would take it personally. And there mm-hmm. was like one of the criticisms that everyone can and fairly should have of Scream is that after Scream 1, no one ever talks about Tatum again, mm-hmm. even though Dewey is her brother. Yeah. And to see in Scream 5 a little sort of memorial thing to Tatum Mm -hmm. to show that he does still think about her was just like, it was a subtle little thing. It's not like shoved into the frame very hard. Like it's there, but it's not like a lot of attention drawn to it. So you could tell that this movie was made by people who loved the the series and it comes across. One more cool thing, a little nugget of continuity that they pay such close attention to. In the fifth one, Sydney mentions Mark is home with the kids. Mark, her husband, and she has kids now. And it's this wonderful little bit of continuity because Mark is Detective Mark from Scream 3, Patrick Dempsey's character. Uh, we, we never see him, but like that's clearly who they're referencing because that's kind of who Sydney romantically seemed interested in in Scream 3. And in Scream 4, that never really comes up, like her home life beyond the fact that she has a book. We don't really know much about like if she has anyone or not. So it was just cool in Scream 5 to be like, actually, she does. She did end up with Detective Mark from Scream 3. I, I just, I absolutely adored it. How, um, how they tied up a ton of stuff, um, but also laid down really really solid groundwork for 
a new trilogy. I'm really, really excited, and I hope that these directors get to come back and possibly continue the series. Um, I think Wes would be so proud. It felt like it was made for me, almost. It just it felt like it was made for for me specifically. It was it was fantastic from top to bottom. Yeah. It made me so happy. Thank you for having me on. I will always make time to talk about my favorite Wes Craven movies. I think the last time I was on, we were talking about Nightmare on Elm Street and its remake because I'm just a huge Wes Craven fan. So thank you so much. Thank you. You can follow us on Twitter at eerie underscore earfuls. Email us at eerie.earfuls at gmail.com. Visit us on the web at eerieearfuls.com. Our theme music is Baba Yaga by Kevin MacLeod. You can find more music at incompetech.com. Thank you for listening, and stay scared, everyone. Stay scared. Stay scared.